And we are live. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to this conversation. And it will be just that, a conversation. I'm really excited to have you here. Chris and I, goodness, we're going to talk about how to crack the digital learning code. I'm going to go ahead and just ad-lib this whole title here. We're going to crack the digital learning code. We're going to talk about how to build a continuous learning experience, focus on the culture, focus on reskilling, whatever else we can kind of throw into the next hour or so in the conversation. And we're excited to be here. Chris, I'm so I, glad to be here. The, the first thing, though, I am going to have to say, though, yes. you are going to have to get my name right because nobody called me Chris. Not even my name. There we go. And there I see go. I can give you a hard time about it. Normally, I wouldn't say anything because then people would think I was pompous. It's right there under your name. I've got, I mean, under your picture, I've got to, I've got to down, Ben. It is not. <laughs> no. Yes. I am also excited about this. So no, it'll be a good conversation. I think we'll laugh a lot. So will everyone else. And hopefully we'll, you'll also learn a lot, learn a lot and laugh a lot. Maybe that's what we should have titled this. Maybe so. You know, like there's research says, uh, and I, you'll find out with the research nut here. You are an analyst. You're the practitioner guy. I'm the researcher <laughs> here. But research says that things like humor, help to connect some emotion to things and make sure you remember them better. So if I can find some way to make someone laugh out there or or uh, you can poke some fun at me throughout the conversation, I'll go ahead and give you that open door. We'll find a way to make that happen. So Sounds before like we it. like dive into the conversation, let's do some intros. Do you want to go first? Oh, you're going to throw me on the spot. Yeah. Okay. So uh, intro Christopher Lind, right? Uh, and in terms of what I do, I do I do lots of different things. Uh, I'm at GE. I, I host a weekly live stream. I help other people understand learning tech. My background has always been in people development, as I would say, but I've had a bit of an eclectic career all over the place. Lots of different business functions, lots of different industries, uh, lots of different space, but always focused on how is technology reimagining the possibilities. So I guess that's my that's my elevator intro. Awesome. Um, I I met you recently, actually relatively recently, through a through a good friend of ours, and I have been meaning to send him flowers to thank you for making the intro because you and I, again, we're gonna we we keep saying it, we're gonna have some fun because we we have some of the same beliefs about the world, but we're coming at it from different perspectives, and so I'm excited to hear. I we talked about some big picture ideas, but I don't know what what you're gonna say today, so I'm really excited to hear what you what you have to share. Um, my background, I started out as an HR practitioner, worked in the trenches, um, finished my career as an HR executive, and then moved over into the research side. I wanted to, I'm naturally curious, and I just wanted to know more things. And so now whenever something comes up, I'm like, I wonder what the answer to that question is. I actually go and we'll dig into it and do some research on it. And so we, the research that we do at Lighthouse covers learning, covers talent, covers core HR, a little bit of everything. And um, I've written a book on artificial intelligence for HR. It's really about how to make work more human. That's going to give you the, the spoiler alert there. And um, I, I run a podcast with We're Only Human. So I'm hoping to be Christopher when I grow up and do yeah. some uh, some more live streaming stuff because I love your show. I love hearing you talk to the different vendors in, this, in the technology space about what really makes them tick and how their stuff works in the learning space. So again, I'll give that a plug. If you want to know more about the learning technologies from someone who is a practitioner in the trenches, Christopher's show Learning Tech Talks is phenomenal. So I, I'll give that one a, a thumbs up because hey, it's not thanks, my show. Thanks. So I can give yeah, that. There you go. You can plug it. You can yes. plug it. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> so, All right, so where do we want to start? So we had talked about some big picture ideas we want to go through. Again, this is a master class today. And so we want to dig deep into some of these different topics and, and give people some ideas on, on what's happening there, but also maybe some ideas on how they can how they can improve what they're doing or how they can really get a handle on what's happening in the business. And so one of the first things we wanted to talk through, we, we kicked around, you can't turn around today without hearing someone talking about upskilling, reskilling, like that's yeah. everywhere. And I'd love to get your take on that. I did some research on that last year, actually. Um, I was, I kept hearing it over and over again. So I did some research on that and I'm going to drop a couple of the stats on you in a little bit, but I'd love to hear you are in the, in the practitioner, you're in the trenches and you're hearing this stuff probably in your own business. I'd love to hear from you kind of what's, what's your take on that? So, I mean, in terms of the thing I'm, I'm finding with upskilling that actually adds to the confusion is that there's a, there's a universal recognition. It's a problem, right? That, that the skill gaps, whatever people will acknowledge there's skill gaps where I see there's still a lot of confusion when people hear we need to upskill or reskill or whatever skill you want to tack on to the end of a, an interesting, you know, front end. I don't think people really know what that means or what they're even directing that at, right? It's, it's kind of seen as this general, well, we have gaps in skills and it's like, okay, but 
taking it the level down of like, but what skills and not just at a high level competency standpoint, but really pragmatic, like what things do people need to be doing differently and why, and how are we actually going to get them there? That, that I feel like is just a black hole in many regards. I was going to say the thing that, that makes you think of is you see it in the headlines all the time, you know, this company has, or this, this industry has a skills gap and it seems like this thing that's so big, so amorphous, okay. you can't wrap your arms around it. It's, right. it's too undefined to say, well, okay, now let's really narrow that down, narrow that focus and solve it. And that's why we've got to get past that. Okay. Yes. Headline, you know, spoiler alert for you. There's a skills gap. Every company has some sort of gap typically, and it's probably different for everyone. Right? Yeah. There are some industries, some types of jobs where it's where yes, you can expect it's harder to find one job than another. But um, I was actually talking to a, a, labor, a labor economics company last year that actually looks at different geographic markets, the skills in those markets, the jobs, and what those what those jobs pay. And they 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 said you know, we can tell you for this market versus that market what specific skills a nurse might have that are different depending on where you might be. And so yeah. it's not just that, Hey, we need, we all need a nurse or we all need a software engineer. Like they all, they all have different types of, of gaps there. There's, so again, there's nuances all over the place. And I think the part where it gets really overwhelming for people is the fact that literally every job in the company is being disrupted, right? So literally everything is so you, I think that's where people just have this meltdown because they just look around and go, Oh, sweet heavens. Like, what do we do about this? Because everybody's, got gaps and we need to fill them, but I don't even know how to fill them because it just feels so overwhelming, which interestingly, if you actually deconstruct it, some of them are not as onerous and overwhelming and nuanced by function or things like that as, as we sometimes make them out to be. So it's, it is a big, I don't want to overshadow the fact it is a big complicated problem. I'm trying to remember what article I read the other day that was talking about the fact like this is the, probably the biggest problem in the history of talent and learning. But I think sometimes we almost because of that, we make it more complicated than it needs to be instead of just digging into it. Yes. Don't don't let the open the door, turn the light on. There's no boogeyman in the closet. Once you see it in the daylight, right. Right, you can you can start to put your arms around it and figure out what to do next. Well, that was so one of the stats in our study last year. Um, the study's called Disruption Drives Reskilling. And we asked learning and talent leaders like Christopher and those in the audience here, we asked those leaders like yourselves, do you think that the current way that business is going is going to drive a need to reskill your people, right? The way the technology is changing, the way that just the way of work is changing. And this was even prior to the last couple of months, the things that have changed the world. And even at that time, eight out of 10 companies said, absolutely, we think we're going to have to reskill and just change fundamentally the types of jobs that we have, the type of skills that we have associated with some roles, just because we've we've had them kind of set in stone for a long time. Right? When was the last time you pulled that job description out and blew all the dust off and actually <laughs> looked at what actually that person had to do? Because you'll find that it's not usually the things they're doing day to day. It's It was some some benchmark off, you know, off in the stone well, age. How many and now times we're looking are at job that. descriptions written based on words that we think are associated with a field and we don't really know what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, right? It's like, well, we need people with digital marketing skills. Okay. I'd like, what does a digital marketing person do every day? Like, let's actually dig into what that is so we can, we can actually reskill that. Yes. Well, that's one of the things you've, you've said that twice now. We've got to go beyond that high level. It's, it's easy to, to get the buzzword yep. right, to go at a very high level. It's much harder but it's also worthwhile to dig deeper and say, okay, what are the specific skills? Let's get really narrow and slice it down and then start prioritizing. Suddenly you realize that digital marketing, for example, maybe you have to know how to run the, this, the uh, new technologies. Maybe you have to know how to use social tools for networking and, and advertising. You have to learn these really specific things. Well, suddenly you're like, hey, now I can actually look for someone that has those capabilities or yep. we can develop those capabilities in our people. We don't have to just be like, well, now we know what this big gap is. And we don't know how to, how to get around that. And you might also be able to pull in from a talent mobility standpoint, you might be able to pull from other parts of the business that you didn't think about before, because before you were looking at it just as a, well, we need somebody that has the word digital marketing in their CV. Well, you deconstruct that down to, well, they work with these technologies. They, they analyze this kind of data. They do this kind of stuff. Oh, suddenly we don't necessarily need to limit our talent pool to 
digital marketing experts, we might be able to look over to these other other functions or these other capabilities where people are doing similar tasks or similar behaviors that we can now pull from this. So it actually opens the talent pool. You are reading ahead in my notes because that was one of the things I was going to say. (laughs) When When you get to beyond that high level high level to this more specific skills, then you can start seeing those kind of connections, right? You can see, yep. hey, there is some overlap between this job over here. Um, I'll give you an example of that. There was a company I talked to recently, they were trying to hire data scientists. And if you've looked at any of the data out there, the hardest job to fill these days is data science, uh, yep. data science roles, because they're it's really hard to train them. It takes some time for them to really get up and running in that field. And they're they're worth their weight in gold. So it's really hard to hire them. Well, this company realized when they started breaking it down beyond just the high level, they said they need to be able to analyze this data. They need to know these mathematical terms. They realized they had 20 employees that had math degrees, advanced math degrees. And so they went to those employees and said, you know, here, can you kind of just run through this equation with me, solve this problem for me, gave them a kind of practice run at it. And the people that could do it, they said, would you like to come over here and be a data science? You'll probably you know, double your income, but you also will be able to do things yeah. using this degree and this background you have. And people were thrilled about that. And the company did not have to go out in the open market, didn't have to pay at market rate for those things. They were able to, to overcome that because of that talent ability piece you talked about. I'm glad you brought that up because that's that story is cool, but it also helps us to remember that we have people inside the business. We do. We, we have to go down to that level of the actual skills though, and we can't stay at the high level and just, just assume a job title is what we're looking for because you might right. just need a couple of the key skills under that job title that you really, really need to solve the problem. Well, and COVID actually is a, a perfect example of where doing this can actually add tremendous value because as parts of the organization may be being pinched and squeezed, other parts may actually be expanding and growing and actually knowing what people can do from a from an actual skill standpoint, you may be able to say, hey, instead of riffing out this whole division of the organization, because we no, no longer need this division, we can say, well, okay, but we know within this division, these people know how to do this thing, which we actually can use over here, which, I mean, the cost of recruiting, the cost of rehire, right? All this stuff actually allows you to be more efficient. Yes. Well, our, we've I've seen a couple of studies and our, our research shows that when you take someone inside the business and migrate them over into one of those other roles, like you're talking about redeploying them, if you want to use that term, but finding another way to use them inside the business, that costs so much less. And in that study, talent leaders said it's much less risky too. Yeah, You're not rolling the dice and hoping that that candidate that looks really good on paper is going to come in and actually be amazing all the time right. because we know that's not the case. I've yet to find the perfect candidate. I don't let you, I've never found that perfect person, even though I've seen their resume before. When they come in and start the job, they've got flaws like everybody else. Yeah. And um, it's, there's less risk because you you know what the person can do. You know what the capabilities are. You know they're a You can a talk the to culture. their managers. You can talk to people they work with. Yes. Right? You have all these data points. But not only that, going back to I think as organizations and COVID has really brought this to light, needing to be more human-centric for our employees. You look at engagement rates right now, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're down. They, they always have been, but they're down the power of people feeling like the company's paying attention to the skills that you have and saying, you know what, we see what you do. We value that. We actually think you could serve value over here. That's actually a great engagement strategy, not just from the business side, but to actually make your employees feel seen, heard, and valued. And that's something that's, you know, invaluable as an organization for you as an organization, but also for your people. Yes, at a macro and a micro level. So yep. all like all of the studies I've seen in the last few years say that the number one way to keep your people is to develop them, to help them see a career path ahead of them. And I, the joke I always say is, if you don't help that person see a path ahead at your company, they'll see a path somewhere else when they'll that recruiter from the competition else. calls them, right? When they, when they yep. call them and start telling them this really pretty picture they're going to paint for them, they're going to they're gonna visualize that somewhere else because you haven't given them a vision for what their career looks like at your company. Yep. Um, I want to ask you a question. I want to put, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to drop a research stat in your lap and, and oh, let man, you respond to it. Because one of the one of the, the the things we found in that study last year, I I really was curious. I didn't just survey talent leaders. I also surveyed the learners themselves, the workforce, to get their take on it and see where there were where we were similar and where there might be some mismatch in the responses. And so I asked them how many, or I asked them how their employers or if their employers measure their skills, and if so, how. And out of that study. 20%. So one out of every five employees said, I have no idea if my employer measures my skills at all. How would you respond to that? 
I would say it doesn't surprise me. I actually think that number might be kind of high in terms of, you know, you, you've got some optimists in there who are probably like, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they do. They <laughs> maybe they know what I can do. Yeah, maybe they do. Right. I, so it doesn't surprise me. And some of it is probably because we aren't doing a good job or a good enough job doing it. So some of it I do think is that I think some of it is also even in the organizations where maybe we are doing a good job of it. We're not always the best at communicating it right? That that information is locked in the Crystal Palace and it's kind of kept behind closed doors. And we aren't public about, you know, making sure people know what what's available, what they're doing, what we're doing as an organization on their behalf. And I think that's a disservice to them, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, you, you said earlier, you mentioned the COVID thing, and I don't want this to be the COVID show necessarily. We've all, we've no. all been kind of pounded over the head with that. But I want to tell you, I'm going to tell you a story and you're going to find out quickly, like I'm full of stories and just like I'm full of research stats. It's, it's a, it's a gift or a curse. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I read a story a couple of years ago about a company that was going through a, a very tough time, kind of like what we're going through now, not a, not a pandemic, but they were going through this hiring freeze, just really tough times for the company. And they like we've got a we've got jobs to do we've got things to get done but we can't hire anybody off the street we can't hire new people and so they actually created what i call their internal ebay for talent they put it together where they where someone like christopher could say hey i'm really good at digital marketing or i'm good at developing strategies and measuring output measuring results you could raise your hand and say i have these abilities and other people in the organization could say hey i need that i need that for five hours a week or i need that for 10 hours a month whatever the that that duration and that extent of that might be they could tap into you as a resource and it helped them to solve their problems but from your perspective you're like i got to do those things i really love those things yeah. that i enjoy so you said that earlier not just the COVID thing but the engagement piece Think about how it felt. Any of you listening to this right now, think about how it felt when your company said, here's an offer. We want you to come work for us. That feels really good. Pretty exciting time. That feels yeah. incredible. Well, when, when you have a chance or you give your employees this chance to say, here is what I have to offer. Here's my, here are my strengths and my skills. And you give the company, the people in the company, the leaders in the company, them a chance to tap into those people. It creates that feeling all over again. It's great to feel wanted all over again. So, yeah. Anyway, there's yeah, my story. No, it, yeah. no, it is a good story. And I think it's an important one that sometimes we're just so caught up in things. And, and again, there's there's all sorts of cultural barriers and, and leadership barriers that I think you have to work through to make some of this stuff work because talent hoarding exists. I mean, there's there's things that you have to kind of work through. It doesn't just we're talking about it like flip a switch and that's all you have to do. And it doesn't work that way. Having been in the trenches, I've I've had a few teeth knocked out and broken a few bones trying to do some of this stuff. But it can be done, and even the small steps can have massive impact when you do it right. So let's give them. I'm gonna. I want to ask you a question about that then, because okay. one of the challenges that I hear from companies is, okay, let's say they're listening to this, like, yes, okay, we agree, skills are important, we should understand those. Now what? Yeah. How do we actually wrap our arms around what those skills are? How do we start measuring those things and figuring out what they are so we can not just know and be able to understand from an organizational perspective if we're going the right path, but also how we can take, we can reach out and say, Hey, I need those skills from those people. And I can tap into them. Like I was just talking about. Oh, well, so I can give an example of something that I've had to do recently. And I think sometimes the challenge is we start too big, right? We, we try and eat the elephant instead of saying, let's, because because the one thing I will tell you in, and this is where I said, I've lost a few teeth, broken a few bones is this stuff is not, Sometimes in HR and talent and learning, we forget that our business leaders don't, they're not in all the same conversations we are. They don't read all the same research we do. They don't hear all the same things we do. And so they aren't thinking about things the same way we are. And so sometimes, and I often talk about, right, we almost have to be bilingual in and not actually bilingual, but right, we have to speak our language, but also the language of the business. And you can almost feel the eyes roll sometimes when you walk into a business meeting and you say, well, we need to improve talent mobility by taking your talent and upskilling it. And they just, right. You just, yeah, yep. Okay, sure. Whatever we have work to do. So you go do your thing and come back to us when you can help us. So I think that's where, where I've had success with it a lot is really starting small on some of those business pain points. So as an example, you know, recently we had, it, it was a, macro problem, right? Our salespeople are struggling with selling the products. 
Okay, that's like saying we need to improve selling skills, which is just a massive, massive, massive thing. But as we dug into it, we actually took the time to say, well, let's let's target a population. Let's talk to some people who are doing it well. Let's talk to some people who aren't doing it well. And let's actually dig into like, what are the skills that actually differentiates a person who's really good at this and who's really not? And let's make it very simple. And of course, right, you've got all the stakeholders who are throwing in other things into the mix and you kind of, you know, shovel them out of the way and say, let's get down to it. And we broke it down to four core behaviors that were so simplistic. Just as an example, asking open-ended questions active listening, like these things are not super complicated things. But as we dug it into those four things, we actually were able to say, let's prove if we could improve these four things, we actually could upskill this entire population. And we did it. And then once we actually got movement, now these terms we'd started to use started to click and it actually almost unhealthily like rocketed way faster than we could. But again, we started small and then we let it grow and it actually drew a lot of attention from a lot of different places. But I think sometimes we start big with how are we going to reskill the enterprise and what competency model? And you're like, well, you're, you're never going to get anywhere if that's where you start. Let's go to the business and let's solve one of their problems. Let's right? solve one of their, their language, problems. In their language, in right? Their let's language. help them sell better. Yes. We don't have to say the word upskill. We don't have to say the word you know, competency development. We don't have to say any of those things. Let's help them sell better. And by the way, as you're going through this, you are figuring out what words they're using, what language they're using, what, what, how they talk with their problem. Yep. And once you start gathering those pieces of data, then you can kind of come back at them with, hey, by, by doing this thing, by working through this issue, here's what we were able to impact on the sales Right. Yep. Sales is always a fun one because you get some real measurables, measurable results that you can point to. But that's, I love that example. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, and the thing with it now, you know, when people are watching, sometimes like that's easier said than done. And it is, it is. And I think this is where one, it, it changes the role we play because sometimes that can be perceived as an order taker, right? Well, we just go to the business. We say, what do you want us to do? And then we go do it. No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is you go to the business and say, tell me what's going on. Like what, what are people not doing that that you think they should be? And explain that to me. And I will tell you sometimes that's met with a blank stare. Like, well, I hadn't really thought about it. I just know it's a problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, my job as your learning talent consultant is to dig yes. into that and help you get figure out, okay, they don't do this. Why? Yes. Well, I don't know. What does that look like? Well, what does good look like? If we and then it gets back to the whole because the measurement conversation is a whole nother one, right? People are like, ah, oh, the measurement thing is so tough to crack. No, it's not. Because if you have these conversations and you actually hear what are they not doing? What do you want them to do? What does that look like? There's your measurement strategy. Like yes. just figure out how to measure those things. You've now proven ROI to the business that you're trying to impress. Yes. Well, you get down to this, like, is our recurring theme, I think, so far in the conversation. Like, you get down past, we want them to sell better. No, what behaviors, in your yeah. example, like, what behaviors does this group exhibit that this one does not that is influencing the, the result? Yep. Because once you get to that that level of behavior, once you get that level of an action, once you get that level of a belief, something that they're doing or they're, they're not doing, that allows you to say, okay, we can measure. We can start modifying these behaviors and then measuring the outcomes. Yeah. And I'll, I'm going to give you... Like a, I'm going to give you something that might be a little bit of a rain on your parade. Sometimes you'll measure the wrong thing. You and will. Sometimes nothing will. Nothing will happen. You'll measure this and you'll expect an outcome, and suddenly it, it doesn't change at all. But you'll know to cross that one off the list and start and continue going going at it. But you're one of the ways I approach this is I said, okay, if I if I told you right now, think about your significant other. What is their favorite thing to eat? Or if you have children, Christopher and I have a bazillion of them. <laughs> if you think about think about one of your kids, you know, give me the name of one of their best friends. Right? We can call these things out really quickly. But if I said, think about your your the person you report to, your leader or your CEO or your leadership team, what are the things that keep them up at night? What are the things that they are worried about? What are the things that if you solve that problem for them, like they would send you on vacation because they're so happy. Like, you know, the answers to those questions as well as you do those other things in your personal life. And usually we don't always, we don't always know those things, but answering those questions, getting those details, getting really close to those problems will help you figure out how you're going to help them solve them. It's yeah. not always easy, probably never no. as easy, or they would have done it already themselves. But Christopher used the word a minute ago. You, I'm glad you did. You said consultant, yep. right? And it's not an order taker. It's I'm going to take a consultative approach here. 
I'm going to ask you some questions just like I was an outside observer. I'm impartial. And once I figure out where the moving pieces are, then I can start giving you some suggestions or some advice again in your terms to help you solve those things that you're, you're worried about the things that are keeping you from, from being able to meet your objectives as a leader. Yeah. Well, and it creates a shared partnership and the accountability of the outcomes, right? Cause how often do we, how often have we been down the path where it's like, well, what's the ROI? And we're, we, we sit and bear the whole brunt of that versus if we approach it this way, we say, Hey, you need to help me understand what behaviors we have to drive. I can help you figure out how we move those. And this way we both have shared accountability for that and ultimately the outcomes they drive. So if it doesn't work, we accept shared failure. Maybe it was we picked the wrong things. Maybe it was we didn't move it quite the way we thought. But ultimately, we're in this together instead of a us versus them. And it also creates clarity in roles. There was another story that so you had a good positive story. I have a story that's not as positive in, in the ending, but it's a real it's a real example. I talked to a company. They're in the financial banking, financial services space about a year and a half ago. And they were actually trying to stand up some digital teams inside the organization. And they had gone through and they did not have good skills data. I'm giving you a foreshadowing of what's to come. And they had exhausted, after building a handful of these teams, they had planned to build 20 across their 40,000 workforce. They had planned to 20, 20 of these teams and they had built two or three of them and they got stuck. They stalled out because they had reached the extent of their, hey, I know a person, I know a guy, I know a gal, I know a person that can do that job, and they got stuck. And so they reached out to us like, hey, how do we do this? What do I do next? How do I figure this out? And it came back to this question we're talking about here, like how do you get at those skills they have? Because when I, I pressed them, I said, for your 40,000 employees, if I said, tell me what clarity you have on the actual skills they have, not the high level, not their job title, but their actual skills, they said maybe 10%. I said, let me get this straight. You have, you know, over 30,000 employees. You're walking around, you're paying them, you know, this week to get their job done, but you have no idea what their skills are. I'm like, well, yeah, actually, yeah. And so that's a, that is a real problem. So getting at that, trying to understand the skills that your, your people have, trying to get, get closer to those things. It's not just about solving a learning problem or checking some box on an HR form somewhere. It's about helping the business to meet its objectives in a better way. Yeah. Well, and, and the reality is, I think sometimes we talk about this and people feel pretty beat up about it, right? It's like, well, we don't have any of the data and we don't do this. And you kind of feel like, well, why not? And that can be the attitude of it's like, man, we just did such a terrible job. We we've done the best we could with what we had, right? This, this stuff we're talking about, especially before emerging technology was hard work, especially in large organizations. Like you can't go around and interview every single person and their manager and their peers and go, all right, we've got a skill profile for Ben Eubanks now. And then what, we're gonna do this every like three weeks and just see how Ben's progress. It was tough to actually do under legacy ways. And I think that's where technology is making it much, much, much easier. So it's not so much, oh, we were so terrible. Why didn't you have this all solved? Yes. Well. It was an impossible task to do before. I think yes. now there's opportunity for us to do it better. Yes. The, I mean, the only way you could do that, because people are like, how do we start that? Like, well, you can have people self-report. That's that's a data point. It's not accurate. Now, everything says that we're bad at evaluating <laughs> our own competencies at things. Right. Um, but at the same time, it is at least a data point more than you had today. So you can start right. figuring out. And one of the other fun things there is that's even a little bit aspirational too. If someone says, hey, I've got some leadership capabilities, you might find out that, that might be a direction they want to go. And yeah. so that might be an indicator for, for things that you want to start developing in them. There was a, a really neat story I saw about a year ago from a, a large healthcare company here in the U.S. And they were trying to figure out, they, I don't know if your company's ever done this. I'm not going to point any fingers, but they were really bad about promoting people who'd been there for a certain amount of time into leadership roles, whether they wanted to be leaders or not. Okay. <laughs> that was their that way never of doing happens. it. What are you talking about? So they were, they were kind of strange because no one ever does that. Yeah. So they were doing that and they realized like, we can't keep doing this because it's actually, we're losing really great individual performers because we promote them and then they leave because they hate the leadership roles and the people working under them hate it because they're not getting a good leader, someone that wants to be there. So what they started doing is they started looking at other signals in the business and they they found that there were certain people, individual contributors that were really good at giving feedback. Again, this is 
the reason that spurred this spurred this is because you mentioned like the emerging technologies. They could see who is giving feedback within the organization using some of their feedback tools and who is giving kind of reviews to their their peers in the business, even though they were not a leader. They were doing this because they like to give feedback and like to give recognition and like to give support to their other team members. You're like, well, that's one of the hardest things to do to get a manager to do that. The ones yep. that don't want to or don't know how to, it's hard to get them to do that. So they started using that indicator as a leadership signal for people who to develop into new leaders because they were already exhibiting that behavior. That's one of the key things that leaders have to do is leading and encouraging and supporting others even though it wasn't part of their job yet. So yeah. they're using that as a way to do it. And again, the, the thing that made me think about that is you talked about, we now have technologies in the workplace that allow us to see a different lens, to see a bigger picture, to see things more granularly than we ever could when it's okay, you know, you, you talk with five people, I'll talk with five people and then we'll average our results and hope that looks like what the workforce looks like. Cause that's, right. that's not a good fact. That's not a good plan. No. Well, and I, I think it requires us thinking a little bit differently about things. I mean, this was a while ago, long before some of the, you know, upskilling buzz was all around, but I was leading a, a sales learning organ, whatever it was, it was sales. And uh, you know, one of the things we had a leadership problem and similar to the example you gave, what we actually did to start identifying the good leaders was we were actually looking at the poor sales performers and then digging into why were they poor performers and the ones that we identified who are performing more poorly because they were too busy helping their peers with hmm. things were the people we put into sales leaders. We're like, because, and no, before we were firing them, we're like, you're on a pip, you're not hitting your sales numbers, you're out. And here we were pushing these exceptional leaders out the door because they weren't hitting the sales numbers when when we flipped our mindset and we said, well, let's dig into why they're not performing. Started asking that question, said, you know what? There's a handful actually of sizably large percentage of these people that aren't performing because they're so busy helping everybody else perform. Let's promote them and let's leave our salespeople that are just crushing it. Let them crush it. Leave them yes. to it. They're happy. But let's also create an individual contributor track so they don't feel like they're capped out and like, well, there's no growth for me. So it was. it's a way. But again, we have to be the ones to facilitate that conversation of, well, let's think completely different about this. And that takes us thinking differently. Because I, I can tell you right now, our leaders aren't going to. Because again, they're not in these conversations. They're not having these dialogues. So we've talked about a couple pieces of advice for someone who's listening. They're like, I want to write down a couple of things that I can do to have better relationships with my leaders. So we've talked about things like go to them, interview them, take more of a consultative, not a subservient role, but more consultative, asking them questions, digging into their problems without ever once mentioning what you're doing. Um, what other things would you recommend if you're like, here's how you start building some of those inroads, building that credibility with the leadership team. So when you come to them and say, hey, I've got a, I've got a, a solution for that problem you have, they actually listen to them instead of kind of laughing them out of the room. You know, we talked the one, the one thing we talked about was our language, right? I mean, our language is probably one of the biggest inhibitors that, that really holds us back. We, we speak an HR talent language that the business just doesn't. So I think if we, if we used our ears more and did more listening, it's amazing how much credibility it builds when we listen and actually acknowledge we don't know. Right. So often we come in and we're like, we need to justify the value we bring to the table. And so we come in and we're ready to tell the business leaders how to solve their problems instead of saying, I don't know what you're dealing with, because the reality is you don't. And when you come in and tell a business leader, yeah, I've got the answer to your problems. You just crushed your credibility because like, oh, really? Oh, really, Mr. HR learning person, you want yes. to carry a P&L and run my global organization? Sure, by all means, go for it. But when you come in and say, hey, I don't know what you do. Help me understand what you do, right? And we're vulnerable and say, I don't know. This is what I'm really good at and I think I can help, but I need to better. It seems counterintuitive. You would think the leaders would say, oh, well, what are you doing here? You're wasting my time. But actually, it's quite the opposite. It actually kind of elevates your skill set to say, I don't know what you do. You don't know what I do, but I think together we can actually, you know, we can actually do that. So I, I think some of these counterintuitive lessons are simpler than we make them out to be sometimes. Yes. It seems like this impenetrable wall. Like I just, I can't get over there. I can't get into their space. I can't figure out how to help them. And taking that, that kind of a curious approach, like just asking a lot of questions. There's a, 
I apologize. I have a story for everything. Like that's just how my mind works. You warned everybody ahead of time. So at least it's not like you're dropping it on them. There's a book back here on the shelf. I can't point to it exactly where it is back there, but it's a, a book called Turn the Ship Around. And it's about a, a gentleman who had been working his way through the U.S. Navy. He became a an admiral and he was at the very end of his career and he got word came down that he was going to get uh, moved to a different ship. And he was like, this is it. This is my crowning moment. I want to get the best ship in the fleet. I'm going to be able to you know, retire kind of the rest of my laurels coast into retirement. And they awarded him command of the absolute worst ship in the entire Naval fleet <laughs> and the sunfish. And he was like, what did what I do? A terrible that? name for a Naval ship. I know. And so he shows up there first day on the job and he's walking around and, you know, hey, why did you do it like that? Ask, ask a lot of questions like you're talking about here. And people were like, well, somebody told me to. He said, well, that's not a good enough answer. So next time I ask you, you need to have a better answer than that. And he just walked around asking a lot of questions. And within a year or two, they became the best performing ship in the entire fleet in terms of their performance across the entire kind of uh, workforce there on the ship. And when someone said, what do you credit that to? What's the thing that you did to turn that around? Because that's incredible. It's the name of the book, turn the ship around, but it's also an incredible actual feat as a leader. And he said, it really came down to just asking a lot of questions and helping people in the business from this perspective, he was the leader point, you know, asking questions down, but the same thing you're talking about here is just asking a lot of questions of other people, giving them the opportunity to tell you like how, what they're dealing with, how you can help them, how you can support them. If you approach it that way, not from a, I'm here to tell you, how to do it. I'm here to tell you my opinion. I'm going to just drop it in your lap, regardless of how you feel about it, but open, open-ended it kind of goes back to those, and actually those, uh, the sales example you gave earlier, like asking yeah. questions, like those kinds of things, but asking those questions, just being genuinely curious and wanting to know more and asking, why is that really? How did it get to be that way? Hmm. I wonder who made that decision. Do you think right. it could be better? And just leading them down this path of logic so people feel empowered to say, start asking those questions in their own work, in their own day, That's that, it, it changed everything for them. And I love that story because it, it ties into that, that thing you're telling, telling everybody there. When you're trying to talk to your leaders, asking questions, we feel like I should show up knowing the answers to all these questions. Don't feel bad if you don't know the answers to all of the questions from a business perspective. They're the experts in there. You get to go to them and you – play the play the hey i'm 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 just in learning card i want to understand how this works right i'm not sure yeah. and and just let them lay it on you you may very well think you understand it but gathering that intelligence allows you to serve them in a better way and really build that partnership so they see it not just as i get to go to learning when i need some content right. created you know hey right. i need i need some new safety training like that's, well, and that's, and that's where, right, we always talk about, oh, we want a seat at the table. But a lot of times the approach we take to getting a seat at the table is by like trying to shove one of the business leaders off the chair. And it's like, well, they're not, that doesn't work. That's not how you get a seat at the table. Seat. No, right. no, see, I'm better. See, I'm smarter. I know more than you do. Like, no, that is a terrible way. The way is to kind of really identify this is the role I play and I'm here to help. Then you're invited to the table because then they say, hey, you're the one who understands this people side of things. Can we talk to you about this? Because we're working through this right now. We're trying to figure this out. Last time you came to us, you had some good stuff. It helped us get where we needed to go. Can can we can we think about it? And what's your take on that? That's how you do it. You don't try and push off the business leader. Just get kicked out of the room. Well, the, the stories you're telling, the examples you're giving from your own career, I always say, you know you've arrived as a strategic leader from a, a learning, a talent, and HR perspective. You know you've arrived when you're getting questions about things that are not people-related questions. When yep. someone says, hey, we've got a sales problem. Can you help us? We've got an issue with quality out here in our manufacturing organization. Can you weigh in? Give us your input. When yep. you get start getting those requests for things that are not directly people-related, yes, you can find a way like, okay, there might be a training issue. There might be a, a performance issue. There might be something that we can weave in to solve through the people, those levers that you can pull in our roles. But when, when you start getting those questions, that's when you know you've got that credibility. That's when you know you've arrived. You don't want them to just come to you when they've got, hey, we, you know, we've got this. this Can you make any learning you know? for us? <laughs> <laughs> Can you make this training class for us, please? We need it last week and we need it to right. be, you know, oh, hey, flashbacks. Like I know, PTSD just kicked in right there. Just a little bit of that. <laughs> oh, goodness. So one of the quotes, I'm going to quote you back at yourself because I, I I read this quote in one of your um, one of the things you had been you had written before that I thought yeah. was 
so insightful. You said everybody has a learning culture, right? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it actually. Everyone has a learning culture, but you might not like yours. Yeah. Right? Talk about that a little bit because I think that is a great insight that we sometimes forget. Uh, we we want to hear like, how do I build a continuous learning culture? Like, I just want to get to that point up there, and we feel like we could, we just gotta hit a hit a few switches and we'll we'll turn that thing on, and it's not that simple. So I'd love to hear your take on the culture piece of this. So, so where that comes from, and again, I think this goes back to the, the lessons of the counterintuitive where, you know, when we think about learning culture and saying we want to build a learning culture is again, kind of coming to the table with like, we have the answer and we want to solve the problem. When the reality is we're learning things, people are learning things, whether you want them to or not, like people are learning things all the time. They, they, they run into issues and they go ask their neighbor a question. They have a problem. They Google it. Right. I mean, this is happening all the time. People are learning things. I think where we miss it is we say, well, that does, we ignore that it exists. And we're like, we need to define it as new instead of going to the table and saying, listen, people are learning, but how are they learning? Why are they learning? What are they learning about? And then how do we tap into that? Because we may need to reform or refine the culture, but we don't need to create it. It's there, but it, it takes us being humble enough to go, all right, well, maybe they don't care about our stuff. Maybe they don't care about our technology, but why? Because they're using other stuff. So let's figure out what that is. And maybe that leads to us creating our stuff in a better way. Maybe it leads to us abandoning what we're doing and saying, let's take our skills and actually apply it where they are. I love that. Go, same kind of conversation we're talking about from a leadership perspective. Go where they are, solve their problems. Go to your workforce. Try to try to figure out what they're what they need what they need from you. How you right. can best support them. What sort of things do they need to get their job done? If those are things that you can deliver. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean we have to abandon what we what we've done before, right? Like I think sometimes I, I've used that quote before, and people are like, "Oh, so you're opposed to having like a central learning portal that people go to?" I'm like. No, because you look at the behavior, a percentage of people do value that. It doesn't mean you abandon everything we did before. It's just about recognizing that the scope we're looking at is is much broader. So take your blinders off. It doesn't mean stop necessarily doing what you're doing. Look at it because there's probably plenty of crap in our shop we could throw out. But there is stuff that we can continue. But at the same time, let's say, how do we augment the rest of the world and what else is going on instead of assuming that we have to craft it? Yes. Well, that was one of the one of the things you said a minute ago was in that culture, we might need to make sure that we are helping them understand what they need to be learning and just casting that big vision for that. And that's part of it. I think having the big kind of formalized, this is what we want to be as a company. Are you developing skills that are aligning with that? If you're not, you know, we need you to be, you know, let's get you in, in, in the game. Let's get you on board with this. Let's make you a part of this. So you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. All right, Dan, all of uh, the, Dan Pink's research, people want to feel like they're part of something bigger. They want to yeah. feel like the work they're doing has a bigger meaning. I'm not taking this one credit hour of training because just because someone told me to, I'm doing this because it's building a set of competencies that I can use to solve this challenge the business is going to be facing in the next two years. Like yeah. that is much more exciting from a learning perspective, from a learner perspective, to get into that loop and to get in that conversation than just, okay, now we're assigning you some more training. Go take that. It's, it's not the same feeling. And they, I think people appreciate feeling like there's a bigger picture. We don't always do a good job of casting that vision though and help people understand no. how the things you're doing really plug in. Well, and some of it too is, is balancing that with people are people. They're unique. They're human. The only thing they think about is not their job, right? And so sometimes we can't be afraid of that and say, <laughs> right. We can't be afraid of the fact that, you know what, people probably want to develop in things that aren't related to their job. And instead of looking at that as a threat and saying that's bad, we should look at that as that's data that tells us more about the people that we have, which may actually give us insights into it, we may learn a lot. We may, and actually you do. If you actually look at the analytics as your people are developing, you can start to learn like, what are they curious about? What are the things that maybe aren't directly related to their job they're interested in? How do we use that for talent mobility and actually use that to help people be in a better spot than they are? Because they might be doing okay in their job, but maybe they'd be doing it a lot better in a different one. And if we only focus on how do we you know, get them to do exactly what we want them to do based on what their job duties are, we're, we're missing out, in my opinion. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll eventually hammer you into that hole we've got you planned for, regardless of what you want to do, right. regardless of what your aspirations might be. You said analytics there. Are you talking, I would imagine one of those would be maybe looking at kind of search volume, what people are looking for, maybe in your LMS or other other courseware, any ideas, other kinds of analytics people could be actually. Yeah, you know, what's funny analytics. is one of the things that comes up in a lot of conversations is the fact that our internal data a lot of times is <laughs> a hot mess, right? <laughs> That's putting it mildly. Yes. Right. You know, if somebody raises their hand and says, not us, we've got it all figured out. Our data is clean. Call me. I'd love to yes. come meet you. Yes. Uh, but for the rest of the world, we recognize that a lot of times it's not. And again, to me, that's still operating under the assumption that the only place we can get data is our data. When in fact, just as an example, LinkedIn has so much data on our people because people put all their stuff out. We can see what people are interested in. We can see what they're doing. We can find all this stuff out. Now, granted, you start getting into data privacy and, and things like that. We have to be a little bit careful. You can't just start scrubbing all your people's data sources. But there are other avenues that we can look to start to see. So, yes, your LMS or LXP data, you can look at that. You can look at your performance data. Microsoft Teams and Slack, as we have more of these data points, we can start to see what are our people doing? It also helps from the skill standpoint because we can start to see what are our people actually doing in these jobs? How are they spending their time? What are they curious about? What questions are they asking? Things like that. Um, you know, and again, you got to be careful, but at the same time, this is where data used ethically and properly can actually help us build stronger organizations. Yes. I, I talked to a CLO a few months ago and we we're talking about this conversation he said you know i have a good relationship with our ceo um, the ceo checks in regularly to figure out like what are the key skills our people are learning across the organization he gets a kind of regular update on that to make sure that people are going in the direction and if not he sees that as part of his role to make sure he's casting the right vision this is what kind of company i want us to be these are the kind of skills we need to be moving forward and be competitive as a company and he's the ceo himself sees that as part of his job to help make sure and convey that to the entire population of the workforce. And um, one of the things we're talking about is I said, so tell me about your LMS, you know, like people, people consuming content and everything else. And he said, one of our points of pride is you can go into our learning systems where we have all of our content and the things people consume and how we present that to them in our LXP. He said, how we present that and what they're consuming, you can tell just by logging in there and looking at the landing page, what kind of company we are. He said, that is a point of pride for us because you can, it doesn't have random generic things. It doesn't have 10 tips for leadership, like those just broad cuts. Yep. These are the four or five skills that matter. And the first set of tiles you see when you log in there are around those skills. And you can tell what are priorities for a company through what we're doing there. And I think that's a great way. He's putting into practice the thing you're talking about. Understand what the what the company needs. Understand what what their what their direction is, what their vision is, and make sure that we are aligning the things that we have under our control to to support that, to make that possible, make that happen. Yeah. Yep. I completely agree. So, yeah, lots of opportunity. I won't say you know everybody's cracked it, but um, you know this is this is where we're going. Yes, I'd say that's that is a, a leading edge kind of approach. That is not a common. That is not a. That's not something that everyone probably listening has done already. That doesn't mean you you can't aspire to be like that, but but that is his approach is one that's very much forward thinking and he has the support of the business. Right? Some of you are farther back in that and have to have to actually garner that support. And so some of the ideas and stuff that Christopher's been sharing today will help you to do that. Right. Will help you to get well, that. that and, and that's where it's easy to beat yourself up, right? Especially because if you go to enough conferences, if you listen to enough stuff online, most of the stuff out there is always like these, these success stories. Everything went great. Everyone, you know, the CEO loves me. He comes to my house for day and you're like, really? <laughs> like your upskilling thing went perfectly. It doesn't even the best of us out there. We got, we got stuff that blows up. We, we step on landmines. We get hit by RPGs. Like this stuff is not easy stuff. And I think the biggest thing is that you're actually recognizing like, hey, we want to step forward and we're taking steps forward. Yes. Over time, you'll, you'll move and you'll, and you'll figure this out. And as long as you're pushing yourself, and that's where I think there's, I take personal accountability for the orgs that I work with, with the leaders I work with, because it's like, listen, if I'm not pushing myself, I can't expect everybody else to do it because people are looking to me to do that. And so that's where as long as I'm moving forward, then then I can ask everybody else to do the same. But if I'm going to kick back, say, yeah, we're just going to host workshops quarterly for the rest of the year. 
how can I accept anybody else to move forward? Yes. How's anyone else going to push the envelope if you've, you've given up on it? Exactly. Well, that's some encouragement. Um, how about I'm going off script a little bit here, but I want to, I'd, I'd love for you. Cause that, that piece you just shared there kind of gave me an, gave me an idea. Not that we have a script. I'm just like, it's, I'm going completely off the radar here. People who are listening to this, yeah. I'm sure are like, well, I want to be Christopher when I grow up uh, or like Christopher when I grow up, maybe um, what, what advice would you give them? Cause you're like, don't beat yourself up. I totally agree with that because, because for every perfect story you hear, there's a, there's a backside of that where they've, you know, duct tape and bailing wire, holding it all together to make it look good. What advice would you give people on kind of how to level themselves up so they stay sharp, so they stay fresh, so they have the good ideas when they start building those relationships with their teams, with their leadership teams, and they're, they're ready to start helping. How do they, how do they stay sharp so they can, they can really be ready to, to take advantage of those opportunities? That's such a big question. And I'm, you know, you know, I'm going to reverse this one. You only have two and a half hours to answer it. So yeah, I, two, <laughs> for those of you who thought this was a 60 minute video, it's actually four hours. Um, no. So, and, and by the way, I'm asking you this one back too, because nobody wants to be like Christopher, but they might want to be like that. So, um, you know, I think with this one, I look at the lessons I've learned over the years and some of the things that I, I talk to my teams about, I talk to other people in the industry about is it's like always be experimenting with different things. Right. I think this, um, I, I, the phrase I use a lot is normalizing failure, right? Normalizing failure to me is one of, one of the keys to success is being willing to, and you, and you're going to start small. If you, if you're not, if this is new territory, fine, don't, don't pick, an enterprise reskilling technology initiative as your first step into the pool, find something that you can do as like, okay, this, this might work. This might not. Um, I actually dedicate a portion of, of my resources and, and that's people and finances on things that I literally have no idea where they're, whether they're going to go anywhere. It's just like, let's just try it. Like what's the worst that happens? Well, it fails. And, and I will tell you that initially the reaction is visceral when you say that, like, like, well, how will we justify the ROI? I don't know. It doesn't matter. This is planned for failure and we're going to expect it, not accept it. Uh, and I think that's something that it takes time. But to me, that's one of the biggest tips that I can tell people is just find your threshold of failure. And over time, it'll get bigger, right? Over time, it'll get bigger. But I think if you can just constantly push yourself to, to fail a little bit and be okay with that, you'll become more acceptable of it. And I guess the other one is get as much diversity of experience as, as you can in this space, right? I think sometimes one of the things I most value about the experience that I've had, I've been in every role that exists in learning and talent. I've been at every level that exists. I've, I've been an instructional designer, I've been an LMS admin, I've facilitated, I've right. You name it, I've done it. And some people, you know, would say, well, doesn't that mean you're a, an inch deep and a mile wide and say, well, I mean, maybe, I guess some people might think that, but what it does do is it, it actually helps you see the bigger spectrum of, of what's going on. And I think that doesn't mean you have to have jobs all over the place, but it does mean try and experiment and try different things and, and tread in other waters. I guess that's mine. What about you? I want to hear, I want to hear your big takeaway. Mine was a ramble. Mine was a ramble. No, that well, actually, there's there are two books to back up the things. So if, if you haven't, you can't tell I'm a big book nut. You can only see a part of the bookshelf behind me, but I believe the book is called Rejection Proof by a gentleman named Jia Jiang, and he actually went through this. He had tried to get funding for his company, and the investors turned him down, and it crushed his soul. He was devastated, and so he said, "I'm going to make myself so that next time someone rejects me, I won't care." And so, for like the next hundred days, he went around asking people for stuff. The first day, he went to some random stranger, "Hey, can I have twenty dollars?" And I was like, "Well, no." It's like, "Okay." He's like, "Well, that didn't hurt, really. You know, it, it wasn't that bad." So he started going around asking people for things. He went to a some some restaurant and ordered his meal, ate his burger, and then went up and asked for a burger refill. And then I was like, "We don't do burger refills." And he's like, "Well, why?" Why not? And it started a fun conversation. Um, but one of his fun stories, it's actually on YouTube. He went to a Krispy Kreme and said, can you make the Olympic rings? A Krispy Kreme is a, is a, you know, the donut store. Can you make the Olympic rings in, you know, all the different colors and everything? 
And the woman's like, give me 10 minutes. And she made it for him. And it looks amazing. <laughs> and he just learned sometimes when you ask, people will say no. It's rarely fatal. And it over time you can increase your threshold, your your pain threshold for that rejection, like you were saying there. So I, I love that. Um, and there was another book called Range, just came out, I believe early this year or late last year, that says we've all been told that you have to be, you know, start when you're three years old and do that one thing and continually focus narrower and narrower through your life. And eventually you'll become a Christopher at everything. And um, I, I like picking you up for everything. You're just, so, making, you're just making fun of me now. Yes, maybe so. But the actual data show that the kind of path you talked about where you sample or you do job sampling, you pick up these skills from different areas and you over time learn how to hone and, and apply those in certain areas, you're much more effective because you're bringing different perspectives to that table instead of saying, okay, I was trained as you know, a botanist. So every problem has to be, you know, about botany. Well, some problems are not about botany, by the way, just, just got to warn you, especially in the learning space, I guess. Stuff, all the example, out there. I don't know where that came from. If, if you're a botanist, I apologize. So I offended you. Uh, <laughs> but, but in re reality, he looks at a variety of studies in the book, practical research, actual examples of people and shows that if you have this broad selection, I'll give you one quick example. And then I'll tell mine. I'm, I'm not stalling. I'm just you a, are stalling, but it's okay. <laughs> One of the examples he gives is he looked at the different people who have won Nobel Prizes in science. And what he found was those scientists who win a Nobel Prize are much more likely to have some sort of other thing they do, an extracurricular activity, riding horses, playing chess, something completely unrelated to their field because it gives them a different perspective, a different lens on which to look at the world. Whereas those people who didn't win but had other really good advancements just did not win, they were often really, really narrowly focused and didn't have those other things to bring to the table. So that's one of the kind of the fun things he found in there. Hmm. Now, my answer is going to be related to yours. If you want to, to level up, it is the age-old advice. Um, find other people who are performing at the level you want to perform at and spend time with them. Uh, Jim Rohn has a, had a, a quote that's been around forever, but I've, I've lived by it for a long time. You're the average of the, the people you spend those time with. So if you spend time with people who are performing at your level, you'll perform at your level. If you spend time around people who are giving you new ideas, who are spurring creativity, who are, who are mentoring and guiding you, who are, who are helping you to think up new ways to solve problems, you will become that kind of person over time. So spend time around those people who are, who are doing better than you, who are performing higher than you, who are encouraging you and inspiring you to be a better person, a better, better performer, whether it's in life or, or at work, and you will start to, to gather those kind of attributes and, and be able to perform at that level. So okay. you know have, funny? I, going back to the, going back to the lesson of the counterintuitive, right? Isn't that another one of those ones where you would think like, well, but if I surround myself where people where I'm like the best of that group, I feel really awesome, <laughs> but it actually makes you worse, right? It makes you, it makes you worse because now you're not actually pushing yourself or when you put yourself with people who are performing at a higher level, it feels uncomfortable. It's, it makes you feel a little vulnerable, but it actually pushes you harder. Yes. I always said a players hire a players, but B players hire C players because they don't want to get challenged. They don't want someone getting, you know, pushing them, challenging them, you know, making them think differently. They want to feel like they're in control. So you want to be an A player, spend some time with some A players. There you go. I like it. I All right. So to wrap up, um, we've covered everything under the sun related to learning. Like you know what? We covered a lot in an hour. <laughs> a lot of good stuff. Um, certainly not everything. There's still there's still more to go. Um, I've, I only gave a couple of the stats in the research. I've still got that in my back pocket. Um, Christopher, before we go, before we wrap this up, if someone wants to connect with you, wants to learn more about the work you're doing, wants to learn more about the Learning Tech Talks, which I, I've plugged now, now 17 yeah, times. It's yeah, like, no kidding. What's the best way for someone to do that? Uh, you know, I just tell most people LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Uh, it's, you know, that's where everything is. I mean, I've got other resources, but usually LinkedIn is a nice central portal. <laughs> it's the it's the LXP of of me. <laughs> that's a learning joke. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know. All the learning people are laughing at that one. But um, yeah, right. I mean, that's that's probably the easiest way because all my info is out there. And I like and I love collaborating with people. I love learning from other people, too, because I don't have all the answers. I won't even pretend I do. Awesome. Awesome. Love that. How about you? Where are you, man? There, 
there's actually more than one Ben Eubanks in the world, but usually if you Google me, you can find my, you can find, uh, find my LinkedIn, you can find the book, you can find one of the, the many websites that are out there. Um, Lighthouse Research and Advisory is the company that I run and we okay. do research in this area, not just on the vendor side, understand who those vendors are, but also on the, the practice, the trend side. I mentioned the, the study today, we've got a couple of different studies over the last few years in the learning space. So if you want any of that, you can just reach out through, um, through LinkedIn, through the website there, Lighthouse Research, and happy to happy to get that for you. So you're at a different level. Me, it's like I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Ben, you Google Ben. That's Google. that's how you find Ben. If you well, if you Google Chris Lind, you might not find you. But if they Google Chris, oh, he doesn't betting. exist. That I'm man betting. does not exist. <laughs> I'm betting they can find something related to the work you're doing. Yeah, they probably could. They probably could. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Well, this is so much fun. I, I appreciate you for joining me for this conversation, for allowing me to to bounce some ideas off of you, to, to kind of plumb the depths of what you had to share. And um, I know the audience appreciated it too. This has been so much fun, Chris. Yeah, Chris. no, and, and this was great. See, you did it there. You, you're, you'll get it eventually. I, I, I know, I know. But also, I, I think it was great that the the hosts of this were willing to let us record it given the the time zone difference. So this is, this is perfect. So hopefully everybody enjoyed it just as much recorded as they would have live. Absolutely. All right. Call it a day. Thanks.